those nine chapters kind of quickly. And the past two weeks have been in chapter 31. So if you have a, a Bible, you can open that. If not, we have um, the, the electronic Bible up on the screen. And let's just go ahead and read the, the verses that we read last week. Um, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, um, starting at verse 10. And this is what is known as the Proverbs 31 woman. And so almost immediately, as soon as we start talking about uh, Proverbs 31, um, some ladies automatically start getting offended. Um, and uh, that's not really my goal. My goal is to open up the scripture because this is not um, a manual for a 1950s housewife. Uh, this is the word of God. Um, and so I know it may have been used in that way in the past, um, but we are trying to actually just open up the word of God and learn from him, learn from his word. This is applicable to both men and women, but also this is speaking about I believe this is a type and a shadow, not just of you know, the perfect wife or, or, or family, but it's also speaking about what it means to live in wisdom's house. Um, wisdom is inviting us to live in her house. Ultimately, that is the invitation. When you read Proverbs, uh, uh, the first um, call from, from, from wisdom is a call to the scorner. And, she, and it's basically a call that says, come and listen to my words. Her second call um, in chapter 8 is a call to the fool. And she says, come and wait at my door. But the final call is a call to the simple. And the simple is not stupid people. The simple is just people who need to mature, which is all of us. And the final call is a call to the simple. And she says, come into my house and eat with me and dine with me. Enter into a relationship with me. And I believe that that is ultimately what um, God is calling all of us to. God is calling us into a relationship with himself. And you read in the New Testament, you see that, that, that wisdom is Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. The wisdom of God is found in Jesus. And I believe Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Uh, it says in Revelation chapter 3, I think it is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him. Um, so I, he's got some five guys and he's got some, you know, some, some chocolate shakes and he's waiting at the door. He wants to come in and fellowship with you. He wants to come in and dine with you. Ultimately, he's inviting you into a home. He's inviting you into a life with him. And so if we want to know what that life looks like, I believe, honestly, it looks a lot like Proverbs chapter 31, because here we see the Proverbs 31 woman, who I believe is a type and a shadow of wisdom. It's a little bit blurry, but uh, it says that the virtuous wife, who can find a virtuous wife? That word is technically woman there. For her worth is far above rubies. The same, exact same phrase used of wisdom in uh, chapter 3, verse 15. And verse 11 says, the heart of her husband safe, safely trust in her so that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax. We talked about that last week. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would encourage you to check it out um, on, our, on our podcast. Go listen to what it means that she seeks wool and flax. She willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Moving along to verse 15 for today, we're going to focus on this next um, section. Uh, okay. Uh, verse 15 says, She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it from her prophets. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hand to the needy. Going on 
Let's, let's go on to verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Uh, she's, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. She's strength and honor are her actual clothing. She wears strength and honor, and she shall rejoice in time to come. Um, when we read Proverbs 31, it seems as if this is a superwoman. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's this, this, this lady is like up all night working all the time. She's providing for her family. But I, I just want to point out a few things that she's not doing. Um, you never see the Proverbs 31 woman cooking. My wife is excited about that one. She, she doesn't cook. Now, the one verse that refers to her providing some kind of food is verse 15, if we can go back to that. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. The, the word there actually means she gives food or she hands food to them. She does not cook food and make it for them necessarily in this verse. She's simply handing it to them, and I think that's interesting. She also, you'll never find the Proverbs 31 woman cleaning. And there's a very deep theological reason for this. It's because the Proverbs 31, her husband and their kids pick up after themselves. It's, it's really, it's amazing. It's just, <laughs> see there, all the offense just went away. And all the ladies now, they like Proverbs 31. No cooking, no cleaning. This lady, like, it's, it's, it's so strange that this, 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 this chapter has been used really oftentimes to tell women, hey, you need to be doing more cooking and cleaning, which is crazy because there's no cooking and cleaning in the whole chapter. You're not going to find her picking up stuff. You're not going to find her cleaning. This, 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 this is fascinating to me. But one of the things actually that I think has been misunderstood is this verse 15 right here. It says that she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Most of us, when we read that, we think of like husband and kids in bed, woman gets up early like 6 a.m. and prepares breakfast for the husband and the kids. You know, she's there grilling pancakes, getting some, some bacon on the skillet and some sausage. And, 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 and the husband and the kids, they just roll out of bed sleepily, you know, drearily rubbing their eyes and they sit down to some, some breakfast. And that's true. In the 21st century or 20th century America, you would find this idea of breakfast. What's interesting to me, though, is that this wasn't written in the 20th century or the 19th century. This was written about 3,000 years ago. And so I started doing a little bit of study on what exactly, what kind of food is she providing when she rises at night? She rises at night and she provides food for her family. What is what does this mean that she's providing food? Well, well, the word providing food means to tear off food. So most scholars agree that she's probably grabbing leftovers. Come on, somebody. Um, leftovers from the night before, from, from dinner. Like she's grabbing leftovers. She's giving them to, her, to her, her kids and her husband, which means that her kids and her husband are also up at this time. It's interesting. And so I started reading, and there's a fascinating book by uh, uh, Dr. Uh, historian a. Roger Eckrich. And Roger Eckrich has been quoted by the Huffington Post and several other uh, uh, really renowned. Uh, the, she, he's, he's, a, he's a professor of, of, of history at Virginia Tech. He wrote this book about sleeping, um, a, a historical view on sleep. 
Most of us just figure, well, we, get, we go to bed around 9 or 10, we get up around 6 or 7, and that's the way humans have been doing it forever. But that's actually, according to Roger, is not the case. And a lot of historians are beginning to understand that there is this great reference to um, what is called a first and a second sleep. So for those of you that think I'm just rambling, I'm really not. I'm, I'm, I'm actually preaching right now. You don't even understand it. But she's like, she's, there's, there's a first and a second sleep. In other words, like, 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 like when you read the Psalms, you read the, the scripture, the Psalms, you, there's a lot of scripture about David. He says, I lie on my bed and I meditate on your law, right? I, 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 I wake in the middle of the night or in the night watch and I meditate on your law and I think about your word. And so a lot of people think, well, man, David must have, been, must have had some insomnia, you know, like the dude couldn't sleep. Like what's going on with this guy? How come he's up in the middle of the night reading the Bible, thinking about the Bible? Like, this is, like what, what is going on here? Well, well his Historically, really, as, as, as early as pre-industrial revolution times, most people had, according to Roger, a, a first and a second sleep. So they would go to sleep around 7 or 8 until about midnight, then they would wake up. And so actually a lot of people are beginning to understand that, that, that this whole insomnia thing, which we currently suffer from, is really just because our ancestors for thousands of years, they were up around midnight for like an hour or two. And uh, they would be up for like an hour or two. During that time, there was a lot of creative thinking that would go on. So if, if kings were going to plan their attack, that's when they would, they would, they would strategize. Um, if, 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 if husbands and wives were going to talk, that's when they would talk. And uh, there was... A <laughs> so it sort of explains the fact that you might wake up at 2 a.m. and your brain is like wide awake. It's because for thousands of years, according to Roger and according to a lot of other sources, there are, there's, there's apparently hundreds of, 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 of diary reports and all sorts of um, concepts regarding the first and the second sleep. Which brings me to, the, to my second point. Uh, during, the, during the midnight to 2 o'clock, you would not have breakfast. Like, nobody's having breakfast. She's not making breakfast for her kids. In fact, breakfast is also a bit of a modern-day phenomenon. Uh, you've heard the phrase, um, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. That was created by Mr. Kellogg. <laughs> Seriously, Mr. Kellogg, late 1800s, created this marketing scheme of how are we going to sell this new thing called cereal. And so him and his, 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 his associate, Mr. Post, Literally, Mr. Post worked for Mr. Kellogg. Kellogg claimed that Post stole his recipes and ran off and started his own company, but we don't really know. But anyway, him and his associate decided we need to get this great marketing strategy called, you know, breakfast is the most important part of your day. Because up until then, this idea of breakfast was, was really something that was pretty new, starting around in the, in, in the, in, in the dark ages with kings and queens. Um, they, 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 they had so much food, they said, hey, let's make cakes and stuff for, 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 the, for a first meal in the day. And they started this thing. But really, there's not a lot of historical evidence that people used to eat breakfast. Um, unless you're a day laborer, a lot of times they would eat some meat in the morning before they went out to eat. Uh, went out to work because they, they, they needed the energy. But most of the time, breakfast was like a drink, like some juice or something. You would drink some juice. So she's not providing breakfast, and, and she's also not the only one up. <laughs> so to be a Proverbs 31 woman does not mean that you get up before everybody else. She's up the same time everybody else is up. But she's doing something very important while everybody else is up. She's preparing for the rest of the day. She's, she's, she's handing them a sack lunch, basically. <clears throat> she says, look, you're going to need this. You don't need it right now. You're not hungry right now. Um, but you're going to need this later. 
And so she, she, she rips off some leftover food, puts it in a sack, and, and delivers it to her maidservants and to her household. She prepares her entire household for what is next. And this is what I believe wisdom does for us. And by the way, if you want to be a Proverbs 31 woman or a Proverbs 31 man, what you need to do, the question you need to ask is not how early am I getting up and how often am I making breakfast for my family. The question is, am I preparing my family for what's next? Am I giving them something that's going to empower them to make it through what's next? Because it's, it, we, we live in an exciting time. We live in an amazing time. So much historical prophecy is coming to pass. So many things are, are, are coming into alignment. I'm telling you, like, this is an exciting time to be alive. But the one thing that we don't necessarily know is what's next. And, 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 and the wisdom of God, when you live with the wisdom of God, God starts to inform you and equip you for what's next before you even realize that you need to be equipped for what's next. You know what I mean? So this is, this is, this is why it's so important. This, this is why we encourage people to come to church even when they're feeling good. Amazingly enough, you can still come to church and listen to the Word of God even when your life isn't falling apart. Like some people actually do this. And, 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 and like, like they, they, just, they just make a decision that I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ because it's good for me because I don't know what's next. I don't know what's coming up. Everything feels good right now. Um, when I was growing up, my kids made a, or my, my, my parents made a decision that them and their kids were going to be in church every single time the doors were open. They were going to be in a prayer meeting every single time there was a prayer meeting because you don't know what's next. You don't know what's coming up. You don't know what this week is going to hold. You don't know what this year is going to hold. You don't, you don't, you don't even know what this, what this next, what this, the rest of today is going to hold. You don't know what's next, but God knows what's next. When you're in wisdom's house, wisdom will prepare you for something. Like, like, like I can imagine her kids are, are sitting around playing Uno, you know, and uh, that's what my kids love to play. And, and you know, she, 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 she grabs them some leftovers. Here, here you go. Well, Mom, I'm not really hungry right now. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's fine, but you're going to need this. You're going to take this with you, right, when you go to school tomorrow. You're going to take this with you when you go out to work tomorrow. You're going you're gonna to need this when you go out into the field tomorrow because you're not hungry now, but you're going to be hungry. And what wisdom does, wisdom gives you food before you're hungry. But so often what we do is we live, we, we, we live on empty. So we live hungry spiritually we live on empty and it's like whenever the world our world's crashing and burning that's when we turn to God but then as soon as things start going well then we're like okay well I guess I don't really need God that much anymore for now until things start getting empty again I'm getting hungry I gotta go home no no if you just live in wisdom's house see this is why this is why throughout scripture the 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 family of God is seen as a home in modern times, we've, we've, we've said, well, the church is like a hospital, right? It's a hospital for the sick. And, and I, I understand that application, but the truth is you're not going to find that in Scripture. You're not going to find the church being labeled a hospital for sinners. It's just, it's just not there unless you're in the message version. And there's lots of stuff in the message version that is not really there. But if you're if you're reading any of the in any of the versions that are at all close to to the original text, it's not described. The kingdom of God, the family of God, is not described as a hospital because a hospital is a place, yes, for sick people. But as soon as you get well, 
What do you do? You go out of the hospital. You're like, get me out of here, right? I don't want to catch anything else that these people have. Because it's just a bunch of sick people. But when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he talked about a home. He talked about a family. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. He told a story about a prodigal son who came back, not to a hospital, but came to a home. Because it's not just for when you're sick. Wisdom is not, the wisdom of God is not just applicable to your life whenever, when the wheels are falling off. I mean, it is good for you then, but it's also to prepare you beforehand so that you don't get to the place where your wheels are falling off. About, about nine years ago, um, I had a, a spiritual dream. I don't, I don't know how you all feel about spiritual dreams, but I feel like the Lord can speak to us through dreams. Um, sometimes it's just pizza speaking to us, but <laughs> you need to know the difference. But I do believe that sometimes God, uh, in Scripture, God has spoken to people through dreams. And I believe sometimes God can speak to us through dreams. So when I was 12 years old, I started having spiritual dreams where I felt like God was speaking to me. And, and, I would, and it's just something about a spiritual dream. I don't know how to explain it, but you know. You know that you know. And so I would take it to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, what does this mean? Sometimes he would explain it. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes I just have to tuck it away like in a file in the back of my head and um, just leave it there because I didn't know what it meant. Well, about nine years ago, I had a spiritual dream. Um, and there was a dream just after Roe and I were married. And we, uh, I, I dreamt that me and Roe were hand in hand. We were walking into a church building, which, which typically this particular church building, it's the church building that I was saved in when I was six. It's also the church building I was baptized in when I was seven. Frequently um, in my spiritual dreams, this church building kind of stood for a new ministry, starting a new ministry. Um, Hello, City Chapel. How's it going? Um, that's kind of what it meant, planting a church, starting a ministry. Because ever since I was 12, I knew I was called to this. And, so, and so, I, so, so, so I had this dream. We were walking into that building, and we were going through these open doors, which usually open door means like a new season, a new, a, a new time. And so we, we, we walked into this new season, and as soon as I walked in the door, I, I heard this little voice in my ear that said, Are you ready for this? And uh, I kind of reached in my ear and started pulling out this long, this long snake, you know, this really long snake. And I, I threw the snake down and stomped on it and killed it. And then I woke up and I said, babe, I don't know what this dream is. It's kind of weird, but I like God's not, I'm praying about it. God's not telling me anything. So we just left it alone. Um, and so then fast forward, you know, about two years ago, we were getting all excited about City Chapel and everything that you see here was just in my head. Um, which is so weird, you know. Um, I would tell people about stuff in my head. And uh, uh, it's really fascinating to launch something, to start something. Whether you're an entrepreneur or a church planter, it first starts in your heart and then it moves into your head and then it somehow arrives here. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so I was, I was sharing the vision a lot and I was staying up because I still had a full-time job at another church. And then I would stay up late working on like the logo for here, the website for here, writing all the information, getting our, our bylaws, getting legal, all that stuff. And I was getting fired up about it. And so I was going to bed about three o'clock in the morning. So I climb in bed and I hear this rattling like in our bathroom. Uh, and it sounded kind of like, like the kids' toys like falling into the tub. And so I sit up because I'm thinking, is there a mouse or something? What's going on? And so I sit up and, and I, I have a feeling that it's not a mouse, but this is something spiritual. And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but I also believe in demonic powers. I also believe in fallen angels, and I believe that they try to mess with us. I don't believe that they can have power over believers, but I do believe that they can try to intimidate us. Once again, I don't know how you feel about that, but it's not spooky. It's just the, the world that we live in. And so I, I, I heard the noise, and I sat up, and I felt that it was spiritual. And so I just said, well, whatever that is that's trying to you know, scare me, that thing is defeated. And so I'm going to go to sleep. 
Um, and of course, the next morning, all the toys were stacked where they're supposed to be. And uh, anyway, so, so my head hits the pillow and I hear this voice like beside my ear that says, are you ready for this? And I sat up really quick. And as soon as I sat up, I remembered the dream. And so I said, you might as well quit playing because we both know how this ends. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I had the dream, you, like, you're in my ear, but you end up under my feet. That's kind of, that's, that's, that's the way things work out. Like, we both know how this ends. But I would not have known how it ended if I wouldn't have been in Wisdom's house. Wisdom will drop stuff in your spirit. Wisdom will prepare you for stuff that you're about to face before you even face it. This is why it's so important that you stay in Wisdom's house. This is why it's so important that you live in Wisdom's house. You say, well, I'm not even hungry. Well, she's giving you something for later. Just stick it in your pocket. Say, thank you. Go to work the next day. You're going to figure out it's going to get hot and you're going to get hungry in the middle of the day. You're going to need what Wisdom is trying to give you right now. She prepares you before you even feel that you're ready for it. I believe that God does the same thing. God speaks to us and he drops things in our life. But not only that, she considers a field and she buys it. From her prophets, she plants a vineyard. Now this is also talking about wisdom's ability to see beyond the moment, to see beyond what she's facing right now. She has apparently a lump sum of money and um, with most of it, she buys this barren field that is around her. And then with the rest of that money, she purchases the materials necessary to plant a vineyard. She sees uh, potential in the barrenness that is around her. She sees potential in the, in the unused uh, resources of our life. God sees potential in the unused areas of our life and the untapped resources of our life. He sees, others may see a barren field, but he sees potential. He sees something that he can plant. And this is something that's true about God. He would really rather cultivate something. He would rather cultivate something than, than, than culminate something. He would rather uh, uh, work a process in your life than bring a finished product out of your life. Most of us focus on the finished product and we're like, well, I'm not quite there yet and I keep, I keep falling short of that. But the question is, are you in process? Because it's a, quite a process to get a field from just a barren field into a vineyard. I mean, you gotta, you got to break up the soil. you got to work up the soil. You have to make the soil actually, you have to fertilize. You have to add stuff to it that is going to enable things to grow. Then you have to plant things. Then you have to guard the, 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 the little precious plant that starts growing up. I mean, what she is committing to, she is committing to a process. And I believe that God is committing to a process in your life. He's not looking for a product out of your life. He's committing to a process. And he finds the barren areas of your life. He finds the unused uh, spots of your life and talents and gifts of your life. And he puts them to work. And we've seen that here at City Chapel so much. We've seen people just start serving in areas that they didn't even know that they could serve. And there was just a need there. And so they jumped in and they found that it was very fulfilling. And it was just, and it, it suddenly a, a garden started blossoming out of a place that was, that was barren. And this is what God does in our life. This is what wisdom does in our life. Um, she, 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 she works the field, but there's a, a purpose to the field. And you'll see it right here that she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arm. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. The, the primary oil that they would use for lamps in those days was olive oil. So there's a very strong connection between the lamp and the field. <laughs> you see, she's, she's, she's planting a field, she's working the vineyard, and the proceeds of the field is keeping the lights on at her house. 
There's a connection. She's not just, it's, it's, when it says that her lamp doesn't go out by night, it doesn't mean that she works all night. It means that her family has light all night. All right, because this is before electricity when you flip on a switch. And so it's very important if you needed to get up for anything that you would have one lamp that kept burning. But if you ran out of oil, then that lamp was going to run out of light. And so what she's talking about here is that she is concerned about the fuel, not just the fire. That God is concerned about the fuel of your life, not just, not just the flame. He's not just concerned with the productivity and the action of your life. He's concerned with what is fueling it, what is behind it, the why. He's interested in the why. And he's ready to cultivate and culminate the why so that you always have enough oil in your life. And oil is often symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You, you, God wants to make sure that you have a, a, a current flow of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. That it's not like, well, you, you, get, you, you get, get dipped in the Holy Spirit on Sundays and then you kind of burn for the next few days and then you, then you get dry and then you need the Holy Spirit again. But God wants to create a field that will fuel the, the fire of your life. He wants to have a, 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 a sustainable systemic change, not just, not just a new product in your life, not just a new uh, a Holy Spirit that kind of moves in and works alongside of everything else, but rather he's saying we're going we're gonna to build a field so that the Holy Spirit remains in season in your life. You bear fruit and that fruit remains. It's not something you have to work up. It's not something you have to go purchase. It's not something you have to buy. It's something that is, is, is growing in the soil of your life. You can reap immediately from the soil of your heart that God drops his Holy Spirit in there and you, has a, you have a reservoir uh, from the inside. You have a flow from the inside. When Jesus talked about the end times, he talked about 10 virgins, 10 ladies. Don't have time to get into it. Uh, but they were waiting on, on, on the groom and the bride to come through the woods. And then they were going to join them and go to a, a celebration ceremony, which is symbolic of heaven. And he said, look, there's going to be, there's, there's, there's going to be two different kinds of people in the world whenever Jesus Christ comes back. There are going to be, there are going to be those, uh, you're going to have these, these 10 virgins. And then of these 10 ladies who are waiting to go party with the bride and the groom, of these 10 ladies, only five of them are actually going to be able to go party with the bride and the groom. And the reason is not because all 10 did not want to go to the party. It's not because they, they, they turned away from the party. It's not because they rejected the invitation. The reason is that they could not see the way to follow the groom. Five of them could see the way and five of them could not. Well, why couldn't they? Well, Jesus told the story and he said, basically, they went out at midnight, right? During the, after the second sleep, they were waiting for the bride and the groom to come through the woods and go to the place of celebration. But the groom and bride tarried a little longer than they thought. So they had their lamps and they had oil in their lamps and they were ready to go. But the bride and the groom tarried and they fell asleep and their lamps went out. All of their lamps went out because they ran out of oil. And then they heard the voice of the groom and five of them whipped out an extra little jar of oil from their back pockets and said, okay, we're gonna pour some more oil into our lamps, light it, now we can see where the groom is and we can follow him. And five of them said, we didn't bring any extra, uh, we're gonna to need to borrow some of yours. And they said, look, you can't borrow oil. <laughs> you gotta go buy some or we're gonna run out. And so five of them we're too busy trying to get what they should have. It's like, you're going to need more oil than you think. You're going to need more of the Holy Spirit than you think. You're going to need more than just enough. Because the groom is tearing. 
he's, 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 he's put the pause button on his return and things are getting darker and darker and darker and you're going to need a reservoir. You're going to need some in reserve. You're going to need some Holy Spirit in your life that's not just, just, just in your lamp. But you have to have some with you on your person that you say, okay, for us, because, because that's what's going to help you see where the groom is. That's what's going to help you follow the groom. You're going to be able to follow the groom to the place of celebration because of the leftover oil that you have in your life. And if you're running on empty, you're going to be one of the five ladies who say, well, I have to go buy some, and you miss the groom. But this is what wisdom does. Wisdom is trying to prepare you and me. She's trying to get us ready uh, to be able to see the the groom. And, and then it talks about a bit of a process that she goes through. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff. The distaff is a staff or it's a stick that would hold basically like, like a yarn of, 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 of thread. And then it says that she, with her, her hand, holds the spindle or more correctly the wheel uh, and, 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 and the idea is this ancient form of spinning clothing and, and, and blankets and things like that. And so you spin the wheel like this, and then you hold the stick right here, which keeps the thread on the wheel, and you start weaving. You start weaving together whatever you weave. Now, what's interesting is the whole spindle concept, actually, um, and especially in ancient times, was viewed as, as, as somewhat magical. I mean, everybody knew that it wasn't magical, but, but because of the, the kind of mystical creation that comes out, you, you come in with thread and you come out with a blanket, right? And so, so people said, man, this is, a, this is almost like a magical instrument. And uh, Walt Disney picked up on this uh, in, in, in the tale of Cinderella, or no, Sleeping Beauty, where, 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 where the, the curse is she'll touch, she'll touch the end of a, of, a, of a spindle, and then that's when she'll fall asleep. Because the pagans really grabbed a hold of this, and they said spinning wheels, man, were, were, that's like where it was at. Like there was special spiritual power in spinning wheels. And so, and so when the author mentions spinning wheel, he, he, of course the Bible doesn't teach that, but he is, he is recognizing the fact that, that what she is doing when she's at the spinning wheel is she is, she is in a process that is creative, that is powerful. The, the, uh, the pagans always said that, that, that the goddesses would show up at a person's birth with a spinning wheel, right? And they would spin your destiny like when you were born. Uh, of course, God doesn't teach that. But, but yet God does teach that wisdom is the one who spins our destiny together. He is the one. Jesus is the one who works all things together for good, both good and bad things. He works all of them for good. And something magical comes out of it. But what's coming out is, is listed here in the next verse. She stretches out her hands to this. She holds him. She holds the spindle. And then she extends her hand to the poor. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot find your purpose without recognizing the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Now, this is interesting because so far it's been all about her and her household. But what she is doing while she is also weaving together uh, the fabric of her household, she is also reaching out to the poor. Because God never blesses us for ourselves. He always blesses us to be a blessing. And you're never going to be fulfilled until you reach out to the poor. You're never going to be fulfilled until you do something for somebody else. And that's why at City Chapel, that's why we do the keep kids fed thing. That's why we do the, 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 the notebooks for the, the college students. That's why we do the, uh, everything that we do is because it's part of our purpose, that we have been blessed not just to sit around in our blessing, but we've been blessed to be a blessing. 
she spins this stuff together, but at the same time, she's reaching out to the poor. She's reaching out to the needy. She's not just concerned about her family and her life and the way things work. And I'm telling you, God is not just concerned about your family and your life and the way that things work out in your story. God sees you as a part of a bigger story. And the poor and the needy are in that story. God wants to reach out through you and through your life and through us, and he wants to touch the poor and the needy. And so always a part of the plan of God is reaching out to the poor and reaching out to the needy. And finally, it says that she, uh, uh, she's not afraid of snow. And um, uh, of course, in the Middle East, you're not going to get a lot of snow. Uh, they do get some snow. Actually, I think in the 1800s, there was recorded a day when they had 17 inches of snow in Israel. Um, for like a couple of weeks. So apparently sometimes it does snow. Uh, but it says that she's not afraid of the snow, and more specifically probably the cold. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet, is clothed. All of her household is clothed. Now this, she just got done talking about the spindle. She's not afraid because she has prepared for the cold. Like while it was spring, she was on the spindle making making Snuggies, you know what I'm saying? It's like the middle of summer, and she's making an Afghan. I don't know if you all remember what Afghans are, but anyway, she's, she's, like, she's making a comforter, a big quilt. It's, it's 100 degrees outside in Palestine. The kids come in. Mom, what are you doing? I'm making a quilt for you, honey. I'm, I'm making a jacket and a coat and some mittens and gloves, some earmuffs, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the kids are like, yeah, but it's, it's like 100 degrees outside. I, I, really don't need, I really don't need that. But she's preparing, not for the season she's in, but for the season that is to come. Once again, I believe God will prepare us for the season to come. Because the seasons change. Whatever season you're in right now, it, you, there's some benefit to it. There's also some hardship. But the seasons are changing. Hallelujah. Football season is almost starting. The Lord is on his throne. And, and you know what I'm saying? Like, like we're finally getting out of baseball, that horrible. Uh, I don't know what that sport is. But finally, like a real sport is going to be on TV. And it's already started. The seasons are changing. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, the seasons are changing. It's getting colder, right? The days are getting shorter. The nights are getting longer. And for, and, 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 and for her Palestine family, for a family in the middle of Israel, this could be a very bad thing. But it says that she's not afraid of the changing of the season. <laughs> She's fearless. And this is what God wants to make you and me. God doesn't want us to be afraid every time the cold winds start picking up, every time the days start getting shorter, every time night starts coming quicker, every time a politician does or says something ridiculous, or, or you know, people vote for people. And, and God doesn't want us to be afraid every time the seasons change. And what she does, she's not afraid, not because, and this is, this is one of the things that I, I notice about church people. A lot of times church people, like we talk a lot about not being afraid, and we talk a lot about having faith, but usually what we end up doing with that is we just kind of um, deny reality, right? For us, many times to have faith is to just simply turn a blind eye to reality, to say, well, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not even going to think about that. Right, like we stick our head in the sand, and that's how we become brave. That's how we, we, we get rid of our fear just by, just by you know, going into our prayer closet and, 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 and you know, humming a lot or something, or you're chanting or praying or getting our focus off of the. And, and we, we, we don't confront reality. We deny reality half the time. 
When there's a problem in our life, we don't, we don't deal with it head on. This isn't healthy. This isn't healthy to deny that there's issues. This isn't healthy to deny that maybe our country is in a really crazy place right now. That maybe, that, that maybe there are some issues going on right now. It's not healthy to simply, to simply turn off Facebook. This is not, this is, the answer is not to run away from reality. Wisdom is not fearless because she has ran away from reality. Wisdom is not fearless because she has said, no, 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 the summer's going to keep going. It's going, it's going to stay warm. Don't worry. It feels a little chilly right now, but it's okay. Just go and keep your shorts on, kids. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be good. Just go on out and play in the trampoline because everything's good. You know, like, this is not why she is fearless. But oftentimes, this is why we become fearless or why we, how we try to be fearless is we deny reality. But this is not healthy. It's not healthy to deny reality and call it faith. Uh, in the scripture, it says, if there is any sick among you, let him call for the elders uh, of the church and come down and be anointed uh, uh, with, with, with oil and the prayer of the faith would heal the sick. So basically, the scripture says, if there's any sick among you, if there's any who are sick among you, but oftentimes people don't want to say that they're sick because they think that that's wrong. But the scripture says, if there's any sick, so if nobody's raising their hand... <laughs> for the sick. Like if there's any sick, I, I'm sorry, I don't think I can respond to that because I'm not sick. No, 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 no. You, you, like you, can, you can still have faith and face reality at the same time. Like you can hear the, the report of the doctor and say, this guy knows what he's talking about because he's been to school for like 35 years. And, you know, I mean, obviously he's got a lot of, mach- a lot of technology. And so, yes, he does know what he's talking about. And yes, I am going to take his report seriously. But it's, it's not lack of faith to say that this is the situation. This is where I'm at. This is reality. But just because you say that doesn't mean that it's the final reality. Doesn't mean that it's the final report. Doesn't mean the doctor's report is the last report. It's just the first one. <laughs> it's the first one. I mean, how else are you ever going to give God the glory for healing you if you never admit that you're sick? I mean, it's like... God apparently never healed you because you were never sick. No, okay, I was really sick, and this was my fever level, and this is what was going on. And then God spoke, and God healed me by his power and turned things around. I had cancer, but then God took away cancer because that wasn't the final report. Just because, look, don't, don't deny the season that you're in. Just deny that season the power to dictate to you what you believe God can do in that season. It's not about, it's, 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 it's not about, well, you know, I'm just, it's really hot outside. It's still hot outside. No, it's not. Look, wisdom has been preparing for this season. I don't know if you know this or not, but God has been preparing you for the very season that you are in. You are not without preparation. You may feel unprepared, but if you would just step back for half a second and say, God, what have you been doing in my life? What have you been speaking to my life? What have you been inputting into my life? You're going to find that the answer that you need for a breakthrough is often already in your closet. It's already been made. It's already been sown. It's waiting for you to put it on. She says, I'm not afraid of the season that's coming because I've been preparing for this season. Could it be, could it be that the God who knows the end from the very beginning, (laughs) could it be that he's actually thought about what you're facing right now? In fact, scripture says he, 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 he declares the end from the very beginning declares the end and he establishes the end from the very beginning 
So this is how God works. God does not sit at the beginning with you over here at the beginning and like, you know, have like spiritual binoculars. That's called prophecy when God gives somebody spiritual binoculars. <laughs> but that's not, that's not what God, God's not a prophet. So God doesn't, he's not like prophets. He's not back here at the beginning looking uh, with spiritual binoculars at what's coming. This is not the way God is. God's not here. God is initially, God, God is everywhere, but he is also here at the end of your journey. He's at your funeral right now. <laughs> like, like he's there. It's not, it's not, he doesn't have to wait for that. He's not, he's not, he's, it's not something he has seen. It's not a picture in his mind. He is literally listening to your eulogy right now. He's present in your future. And so when he talks to you over here, and he gives you promises. He's not giving promises from somebody who has merely seen what's next. He's giving promises from somebody who is literally at that moment in the what's next moment. And he's, he's, he's in this moment, and then he's also in this moment, and he's also in this moment. And so what happens, we start over here, and God tells us some amazing things about, about stuff that he wants to do in our life. And we're like, woohoo, yeah, that's awesome. And then we, we get tripped up, and then we start failing, and we say, well, obviously, obviously this isn't working out. It's like, hold up, God, God was in the failure when he told you about the end result. Well, like, he was there when he, when he promised you victory. He was, he was in the mistake. He was in the stumbling. He was in the misguidedness. He was in the disbelief. He was in, he was in the rebellion when he came and spoke to you the first time because not only is he in the rebellion as he's talking to you back there at the beginning, he's also in the victory as you're in the rebellion. He's not, he's not limited to your season. The God who establishes the end, he builds, he writes the last chapter first. He establishes the end from the very beginning. He knows the end result of the plot. He knows the end of the story. He's already watched the end of the movie. He's been there and he worked his way back from victory to where you are right now. So when he says, look, I'm going to take you there, he's not just hoping that it's going to work out. He's literally already walked the steps from victory to failure. He comes down the mountain to where you are. He doesn't promise you about stuff up there and take you up. He comes down first. Scripture says that he, that, that he steps in. He goes before us. He's the, uh, the, the, the um, uh, in, in what's, what's, what's the word in Hebrews? It says, it says that he's our forerunner, which means, which means that he goes like in front of us and then comes back to us in order to lead us. He's a forerunner, the guy who runs out in front and then makes a way and then comes back and says, okay, this is the way. This is, this is how we can get to where we're going. He's not afraid of the season. He's not afraid of the political environment. He's not afraid of your mistakes. He's not afraid of what you missed and what you should have done and what you lost. He's not afraid of any of that because he's been preparing you for this season. And you have what you need in your closet. You have what you need in your house when you're in wisdom's house. <laughs> he establishes the end from the very beginning. He never, he never gets anything wrong. His timing is perfect. His ways are perfect. His thoughts are perfect. He desires good things for you. He wouldn't lead you this far to drop you off. He wouldn't lead you into the winter to run out in your, in your shorts. 
He's prepared everything for you. And this is what it is to live in wisdom's house. This is what it is to live without fear. This is what it is to live, because whenever, whenever you put the onus on you, whenever you put the weight on you and on your ability to be something and to believe something and to keep something and to build something and to prepare for something when it's on you, then yeah, you, you look around, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I didn't know this season was coming. Of course you didn't, you're, 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 you're mortal. Your, your view, your vantage point is about this. Like you can see the past 36, I can see the past 36 years of my life, but if that's taught me anything, it's taught me that I don't have a clue of what's coming next. I don't know how any of this works. I don't know why people are voting for that person or that person. I can't figure stuff out. I'm a people person. I can't figure out our country. I can't figure out myself even. I, I'm not even aware of why I respond the way that I respond. I don't even know what's in my own heart. And Bibles, Jesus said that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So the last thing you should trust is yourself. <laughs> so it'll lie to you quicker than than the Texas weather, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not reliable at all. But wisdom is reliable. Jesus is reliable. And trust and faith is not to deny reality. It's not to deny the cold. It's not to, it's not to stare into the, the snow and say, oh, that's not there. That's not, it's not healthy. Trust and faith is to say, I, I see the cold, but I have somebody in my house that has prepared for this season. I have somebody who's been working on stuff and building stuff and preparing stuff and putting things together, weaving things together in my life. And I am, I, though I feel unequipped, I am unequipped in and of myself, but there is a God who is with me, who is for me, who has made a way for me. And this season, though it is cold, it does, not, it does not negate the goodness of God. It does not change the nature and the quality of wisdom in my life. Because in the springtime, she was making blankets. In the summer, she was making snuggies for me. She was preparing me for this moment. And so I'm going to turn around to wisdom and say, hey, what you got? <laughs> I need you. And that's really a call today. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Close your eyes. And I just want to see, does anybody want to call on wisdom today? Anybody want to call on Jesus today? If that's you, just raise your hand and say, I'm going to call on Jesus. I'm, I'm needing him in my life. I'm needing his wisdom. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make this next step. I don't know how to make this, this next journey. I see that. It's awesome. Why don't you just go ahead and pray with me? Say, dear God, I need you. I need you in my life. I welcome you into my life. Come and show me the way that you want me to go. I trust in you. Forgive me for doing life my own way. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers all of my sins and makes me brand new. Give me the faith to follow you for the rest of my life in 